for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Someplace underneath. Neath is a planet gone missing into time. A moon believed to be in the orbit around Venus. The moon was named Neith after an early Egyptian goddess who, according to the lore, is the birth mother of the universe. Astronomers spotted Neith 30 times since it was discovered, but it went missing, and it has not been seen since the late 1700s. Where did it go? go? Poor women, trans women, women of color, women in fringe religions. What do they all have in common with this ancient missing moon? They go missing. A lot. A lot. I'm Natalie Jean, and I'm joined by Amber Nelson every week to look into a case where we answer the age-old question, where them hoes at? Let's talk about it and see how we can help. Someplace Underneath, a show about the missing. Missing from home, missing from justice, missing from the conversation. Plus, there are dick jokes. Listen wherever you get your pods. Hi there, you sexy podcast listener. My name's Henry Zabrowski from The Last Podcast Network. And wow, it's me, Holden McNeely. Great. <laughs> we wish to present unto you Last Podcast Network's Deep Dives Dune, where we'll be talking about all things Dune-centric. It's like a book club, but you don't even have to read the book. You don't have to read the book. You just have to sit and listen to two soft-bodied men warble about it. But soft-bodied men is what brought you Dune in the first place. You're welcome. Some people call me book stupid, but even I think Dune's a pretty fun read. Dune's got space witches, sandworms, and a tiny boy king that can see the future. He's only 15 in the books. They're making a movie about it. He's not 15 in the movie. From Stilgar Sietch down to the card of the god emperor Leto to himself, we will plumb and dig in the guts of Frank Herbert's masterpiece Dune and its far superior sequels. I'm finding some of the sequels difficult to read. Silence! Join I, Henry Zabrowski, and the useless appendage Holden McNeely as we ride the sandworm in Last Podcast Network's Deep Dives Dune, a limited series from Last Podcast Network and Spotify. Listen to new episodes of LPN Deep Dives Dune, only on Spotify starting March 15th. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? You know what this episode makes me jealous of? What? Vacations. Because of all of the serial killers, think about this. Think about just how much room service Jack Unterweger got to eat 
as, as a person because I, I feel like a, yeah, but besides room a service fir- really that good they always put the they put the fish in the chicken caesar salad and mm-hmm. i hate the sardine anchovy it depends on it's the an anchovy type. what's the difference it's, between a sardine and an anchovy one's got a big old dick <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm not certain I they're different know. fish they're just different fish they are different but okay jack unterweger got to go to like spas he got to do all the shit fucking david berkowitz had to deliver mail <laughs> he had a job to do and burned down the town. Jack Unterweger got to go to jail once already and then got to travel the world. And we just sit in the same homes. Man, son of Sam, like David Berkowitz didn't even get to deliver the mail. He was running the ZMT machine. <sighs> the one that was proven to cause all of the fucking postal massacres of the late 80s, early 90s. Treated people That's like what robots. David Berkowitz didn't even go outside. God, I think wow. you guys have lost all touch with what makes being a human fun. <laughs> Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry and, of course, Marcus. Uh, Yes, well, fantastic way to start. I guess I don't even know what you're jealous of. Jack Unterweger is the only Diamond Delta, like, flyer. Oh, my God. In the the serial killer world. We are getting into part two of Jack Jack Unterweger. But before that, you just triggered me. I remembered as of a year ago, all you two elitists would talk about, Marcus and Henry. Our points uh-huh. are your Delta Sky Miles. Our points. And if I hear that term one more time when we start traveling again, this podcast is going to become me in prison screaming at a wall alone because I'm going to kill both of you. <laughs> ben, just so you know, you, oh I know you've been worried about this. No, but, I have not. I was. But, but I know you were, but yeah. you know, because of the pandemic, my gold medallion status has yeah, not disappeared and it <laughs> has continued you. into the new year. My bro, not only did they send me a new tiara, but also <laughs> what they're going to do is they're going to give me a seeing eye person at the airport from now on which is just this little man uh-huh. not a little person because it's we don't want to marginalize them just someone very very small and uh-huh. they, they get to go on a little leash and they get to take me from all these various places so then they cut through the crowd for me you are a horrible person well speaking of horrible people let's get on to part two of jack unterweger So when we left off last on the Jack Unterweger story, the year was 1990, and Jack had just been released from prison after serving 15 years for a brutal, sexually motivated killing that obviously typified the behavior of a future serial killer. But as we know, while Jack had been in prison, he'd become a writer, and based mostly off his book Purgatory or The Trip to Prison, Jack (laughs) Unterweger had become a celebrity in his native Austria. As a consequence, Jack pretty much went straight from four walls in a cot to appearances on TV talk shows while wearing double-breasted white disco suits 20 years out of date and driving fancy cars with vanity license plates bearing his own name. Technically, that's the same lifespan as Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a good three-piece suit. You have to have a little bit of sympathy, not for any, not obviously he's a horrible person, but he went to prison. There was a certain style then, Mm -hmm. and he came out, and he just picked up with the same style. So that's not that bad. There was a lot of evidence that style had changed. (laughs) Well, I think what it was is that that was the style back then, and then when he got out of prison, he had a best-selling book. He could finally afford the style that he couldn't afford when he first went into prison. So he's reliving some past memory. Oh, yeah. That's why I have oh, probably close to 200 graphic tees. Well, of that's all I wanted as a little boy was more and more horror shirts. Yeah, that's very true. But even though Jack was a monster, 
He wasn't one to rest on his laurels. In November of 1990, within months of his release, his next novel, called Dungeon, appeared in bookstores all across Austria. Almost universally panned as a poor follow-up to Purgatory. His fucking head wasn't in the game. Yeah. Well, the plot of Dungeon seems to be pretty much more of the same, but worse. Mm. Which was just creative retellings of his criminal past. Yeah, no one talks about the album after Under the Table and Dreaming. Absolutely <laughs> not. In a short excerpt we will now read, Jack gave an account of a crime in 1973 in which he and his girlfriend Maru traveled through Italy and Jack posed as a male sex worker to lure in a robbery victim. <sighs> I like how he flips it. Yeah. Yeah. To set the scene, we're coming into the story here right when a Mercedes, driven by a John, pulls over to inquire with Jack about a sexual business transaction. And Jack <laughs> holds a knife to the John's throat as soon as he gets in the car. But if it's a female John, is it then a Jane? It's a male John. Oh, so he's going gay for pay. Yeah, he's going. Well, at least that's the appearance. Oh. So Jack puts the knife up to the guy's throat uh -oh. and the guy says... What, what are you doing? Shut your mouth. You'll get a few years in prison for this. I laughed out loud and shrill. <laughs> you say catch me. Roll over onto your belly. I tied his hands behind his back with shoelaces. I drove farther down the Via Casalina until no more houses were visible. There was nothing around. Oof. Pure <laughs> darkness. Or the meadow obscured by bushes. I stopped the car. End station. <laughs> I got out, went around the car, opened the passenger door, and I jerked him out in the cool evening air. Wait, you you did what? You jerked I him jerked off? I jerked him out you of it. You jerked him out. You didn't jerk him off in <laughs> no, the No, I jerked him out Because it's... You, okay. <laughs> he wanted to defend himself, tried to spread his legs, but was defeated by his bound feet and hands. Is he... Are you Dr. Evil his now? Christ <laughs> brought my rights to boil... Natasima! Whoa! I ripped off his paints and strewed them. It's like any other pieces of his clothing in the nearby bushes. Out of me broke forth the hate and <gasps> cynicism. I spat on him and kicked him, all the while cursing him with my tirades of hate. My body felt agitated, as though filled with ants. Filled to the brim with ants like the Oogie with, Boogie Man. With ants? <laughs> I wanted to say to Wait, him... Wait, your body feels like it's full of ants? Filled with ants. Oh. I wanted to say so much to him, but had to suppress it so not to betray myself. I went to work on him without seeing him. He was only an object. In an image of glaring sharpness, I observed my movements in slow motion. The swift blows of my fists were accompanied by shrill cries, and I couldn't calm myself. Heard him. But I couldn't understand what he was saying. Almost too late. When I, do you when do you jerk him off? I, it was not the point of the mission. <laughs> Almost too late, I sensed the pressure of my full bladder and the first wetness <laughs> seeped into my pants. With the rest, I played like a dog and used his naked body like a tree trunk. <laughs> Do dogs play with a lot of tree trunks? I mean, no, no, no. I, he meant that he, he played like a dog. When he says I, he played like a dog, that means he pretended to be a dog and he pissed on the guy. Yeah, he peed his pants uh, a little bit, I just a little bit, and then and then held it and then saved the rest and then peed on the guy like First a like I a did, dog would uh, would on a tree trunk. I lifted my leg and they went to woof woof <laughs> yeah. and they made the spitzel and woof. I knew I was a good dog then. Oof. <laughs> 
this man, that's the talent that got this man out of prison well, for raping well, and murdering this, a young woman. This is a woman. German translation and it's the bad. It's a, it's a translation and it's bad book. It's the bad book. Yeah, yeah. This is this is German to English. Perhaps when it you, sounded better in German. I'm just going to say this. When you kill somebody and you get out of prison early because you happen to be a good writer, every fucking thing you write better be great. Crush. <laughs> because as soon as it's not, you go right back to prison. That's the caveat I would put on this. Now, what's interesting about this particular excerpt is that Jack vaguely lays out his entire modus operandi. And in making himself the sex worker in the story, he becomes comes both the victim and the perpetrator, which are two roles that a serial killer is very comfortable inhabiting. And absolutely, as the ultimate narcissist, he does view himself, not only, he views himself as a victim of Always. himself. And so he knows, like, because he knows the inner workings and knows that he has set up a construct. And so he actually develops his own inner sense of bitterness of the mm. abyss between the person he's pretending to be and the person who he is. So he actually views the world as constantly making him pretend to not be a monster because they can't pretend they won't allow him to be one yeah uh, i it, i when i was growing up we used to spank our kids and my father <laughs> used to spank me and he would say this hurts me more than it hurts you and i would tell him it hurts me more <laughs> i know it does <laughs> because my body is hurting but keith raniere from oh. nexium he also wrote a story i think it's very interesting it's these it's kind of higher functioning shitheads that yeah. sociopaths they, they think right. that they are so fucking clever that they yeah. can write their entire mo out because this is also a part of his game he purposely mm -hmm. wrote his mo into a book so that he can flagrantly show like and look this is what i do keith raniere wrote this whole thing about the sexual sadist and how he becomes bored and becomes and starts wanting to control people and it is a an exact mirror image of who he is as a person all yeah. right very similar to oj writing if i did it it was very small if very small yeah. if or it's like that scene in Sideways where Paul Giamatti does the, does the whole monologue about the Pinot grape. And he yes. might as well at the end just go, I'm the grape. Yes. It's very yes. obvious. It's very, very obvious. Okay. Well, in this excerpt, Jack even lays out how and when he gets sexual satisfaction from murders, telling us explicitly through the, quote, wetness seeping into his pants, <laughs> that he ejaculates specifically through violent murder and not through any sort of conventional sexual stimulation. Fuck your flashlight. I have my jean pant. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Interestingly, though, by the time Dungeon appeared in bookstores across Austria, Jack Unterweger had already resumed killing women. What made Jack Unterweger particularly dangerous, though, was the fact that he didn't conform to one of the most common serial killer behaviors. Oh my God. And of course, that's doing two spaces after a period. Because <laughs> supposed to do two spaces after a period i was raised on the oh, two spaces after a period Ugh. and all of a sudden we're not supposed to do two spaces after a period who that's does not that? how i was raised who does that sociopaths everyone in wisconsin <laughs> see most serial killers tend to kill in places where they're comfortable or at least in environments they can control and while there certainly are traveling serial killers most tend to stay in close proximity to either their home or a familiar place or it could also be the traveling serial killers are very difficult to catch yeah and serial killers who stay close to home are just the ones that we know about for example, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, lived in Yonkers, but 
He murdered victims in New York neighborhoods that he'd gotten to know during his days as a taxi driver, which made getaways that much easier. It's also 20 minutes on the Metro. Can you yeah. imagine getting into a cab and your cab driver is David Berkowitz? I mean, they are <laughs> mostly <laughs> David Berkowitz. The, the, every the, Uber that I've taken, it was, do you have with David Berkowitz? <laughs> every single Uber I've taken in LA was driven by an Armenian David Berkowitz. <laughs> <laughs> by contrast, Jack Unterweger murdered victims in three different countries on two continents in surroundings that were sometimes entirely unfamiliar. In doing this, Jack Unterweger could descend upon a city, kill multiple women in quick succession, then leave before an investigation led to his front door. However, while he might have been killing women on different continents so as to allay suspicion, it could also be that Jack Unterweger killed on multiple continents simply because he could. He was, like Ted Bundy, uh, he was not a planner. You know what I mean? He was an impulsive Keller. Yeah. And so I think with Jack Unterweger, his style kind of, he was, he's kind of like, uh, you know, I hate to put it this way. He's like a one man band where it's like, I think that people that hunt in their neighborhoods, like serial killers that hunt in their neighborhoods, a part of it is th there is a territorial aspect. I do think, yeah. I think that they view this as their hunting grounds and that they, and they claim ownership over it where Jack Unterweger did not truly did not care about a single thing or anybody else on the face of the planet the mm. only thing he cared about was the vetness in his yeenes it would be mm -hmm. extremely difficult to be a serial killer as a one-man band trying to sneak up on everyone oh my god you gotta have the horn under your armpit so that'll give you some good horn sound every and every now time and you again. hear the fucking accordion you know you're gonna jump into zoom stomptish absolutely you got a washboard with you at all times and then not to mention your shoes Tap shoes. <laughs> well, there's a reason why Jack Unterweger had the resources to travel around. See, in Austria and in most developed countries around the world, the arts are actually supported by the government in a financial sense through grants and such. They learned from Hitler. <laughs> what happens when you don't support a young artist? I support these artists. And that's the big lesson the Germans learned. Also, remember when YouTube learned that, YouTube learned that lesson from that one YouTuber who shot everybody up? It's the same oh. thing, but they just took the money away. That's they true. <laughs> now, normally, this is a good thing. But, uh, you know, of course, a government subsidizing the arts. And plenty of wonderful art, particularly short-form animation, has been made through government grants. Yeah, Jan Schwenkmeier. Yeah, <laughs> that is a real guy. That is real. <laughs> what this meant in Jack Unterweger's case was that the very same government that was giving this supposedly reformed killer a second chance was also subsidizing his murders around the world. And all of that started in Czechoslovakia in September of 1990. You wait. You just said that out loud. Wait until Rand Paul brings that up in the next Senate hearing. He's <laughs> wait until the Unterverger rule comes in, and now we no longer have PBS. <laughs> just four months after being released from prison for his first obviously proto serial murder, Jack Unterverger resumed his reign of terror that would leave a further ten women horrifically and brutally murdered in a spree that lasted just a little over nine months. That's all. People also God. could try to say that he didn't go into berserker mode like we do see with most serial killers, but it seemed like his entire quote unquote serial killing career was in berserker mode. Yeah, he's literally, to use a person that you often reference, just Bo Jacksoned it. Short career, <laughs> but the entire time you were like, that was insane. That was a lot of career That's in a, a small time. Yeah. Yes. The first victim was a sex worker named Blanca Bakova, a 30 year old mother who worked in a butcher shop by day and the streets of Prague by night. 
Now, as opposed to other serial killers who might want to hide their movements, Jack was completely open with everyone about going to Prague. See, in satisfying some sick sense of irony, Jack was claiming to travel to Prague for research on the city's red light district for a magazine article. And amazingly, he did, in fact, write that magazine article. Oh, yes. He's kind of like a Hunter S. Thompson meets Satan. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in this, Jack probably thought he was being clever because traveling to those districts under the guise of journalism would give him a reason to be there should the investigation ever lead to him. Instead, all this eventually did was give investigators a very clear roadmap to Jack's whereabouts. See, this is where you and I differ a little bit, dog meat, of talking about Jack Unterweger because I do believe that Jack Unterweger... What puts him down to a class B serial killer versus a class A is that he was terrible at covering his tracks Mm. and and that he in my mind, he was so flagrant because he was such a damaged, broken shithead that he always wanted everyone to kind of know that he was doing it. I think in a weird way, he he liked the dog whistle of, of inserting all of this stuff so people could read it and say like holy fucking shit, he was doing this this whole time. What an evil genius. Is it possible, Marcus, also that he, because he had already gotten away with murder, just like legitimately said, oh, I can do this? It might Society be. has allowed me to, so it's not even a big deal, like whatever. Maybe, but I, I think maybe subconsciously he did want people to know, but I think Jack Unterweger got off even more on getting away with it. And yeah. as we'll see later, the mm. moment his freedom is taken away, uh, he fucking just, he can't stand it. He can't stand not having like he wants to have freedom more than anything. He does want to be an evil genius. I also do agree with you that he was fucking awful at covering his tracks. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not yeah. saying he was good at it. Like he like the way he covered his tracks was really fucking dumb. He again, like you were saying earlier, he thought he was a lot smarter than he really was. Was it possible that he was also trying to hide behind celebrity? Celebrity used to be a bit more of a shield when it comes to atrocious crimes. I think that has changed. And, and that's fine with me. But do you think he was also like the more famous I get, the less they can touch me? It's weird because I don't know if he necessarily thought like that. I think that he always when he was walking down the street before he went to jail, he thought people were taking pictures of him and being like, who's that guy? Right. Like, I think he always <laughs> thought he had star quality and that what the celebrity thing actually does is maybe it actually speaks more to your point is that it actually makes him think I do have the magic touch. Mm-hmm. Like I can make it happen for me. I can now commit. I can also convince I can commit murders with impunity as well. Right. And he also uh, did have a shield with celebrity because w- with the celebrity, came defenders. Uh, there were people who defended Jack Unterweger until the day of his fucking conviction. Um, and that was something that also made him a little excited that he had people that were uh, defending his every move, even though he was so fucking obvious that he was a serial killer oh to everybody God, else. Just see that little j- jagged tooth British Alan Dershowitz supporting him in the, <laughs> in the sun, in the sun tabloid. I think it was Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> it may have been, I guess, yeah. Well, on September 14th, 1990, Jack Unterweger began his serial killing career in earnest by murdering Blanca Bakova with an M.O. that would almost immediately establish itself with a few alterations later on. First, Jack would pick up a sex worker in a car and drive them to some wooded area. Then, he'd use an intimate article of their own clothing, stockings, leotards, or bras, to strangle them to death. He'd then undress the victim completely, but leave all the jewelry and cash behind. 
because he wanted to make sure that investigators knew that this was not about robbery. He would, however, take the IDs and dispose of them elsewhere so as to hinder identification. Finally, he'd partly cover the bodies with leaves, dirt, and branches, but not so covered that discovery of the body would be difficult because part of the thrill for Jack was knowing that the discovery was going to fuck up a second person's day. The okay. uh, Because he's purposefully displayed the bodies in yes. a way that was uh, very degrading and like upon when you walk in, you are affronted by the sight of it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I mean, the the main problem is the murder. Yeah, 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 <laughs> he could have yeah, yeah. like yeah, made her like a princess and put a crown on her and we're like, that's at least it's yes, not degrading. And we're like, yes, um, yeah, celebrating. But yes. Yeah, gave her a full facial mask right. and all that kind of stuff. That'd well, be she different. looks good. Leave a good corpse. The self-care <laughs> killer could be huge. It's horrible. <laughs> Just don't murder anyone. Yeah, just don't. No, no, no. That was that's of course, that's the worst part. Uh, but he wanted think of that. Think of it as a chaser, you right. know, like that. That's the chaser to, to the actual murder itself. Now, some of these bodies went undiscovered for months, but Blanca Bakova's body was found the next day in a tributary of the Vltava River, lying in a shallow stream covered in tree branches, stabbed only one time in the buttocks. See, with the stab, Jack seemed to have been playing around with what's known in serial killer investigation as a signature. While an MO is how a serial killer kills, a signature is something done on purpose that makes that killing specific to the killer. Like how the Golden State Killer used to put dishes on the person's back and go eat meals. Like it was like a thing that he used to do, uh, yeah. ter- like really uh, ritualistically. Uh, the or the uh, BTK used to fucking all, the, the way he used to leave cereal out uh, because he right. was a uh, <laughs> uh, and, Ronnie, and Ronnie DeSalvo with the big ornate bows. Bow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's okay. both what makes the serial killer particularly gratified sexually, and it's a way for the killer to take credit because it both gives their crimes notoriety and it gives the killer a wildly misplaced sense of accomplishment. Oh like playing God. Skyrim. Yeah, a little bit. So this is it's literally flair. It is flair for the serial killer. Mm hmm. Now, for Jack's next few murders, he killed closer to home, 120 miles away from Vienna in the city of Graz, population 328,000. The first killed in Graz was Brunhilde Masser, who'd been working Graz's red light district for over a decade. Her body was found naked and half eaten by animals five miles outside of Graz by children playing in the woods. Oh, my God. Now, there was briefly a suspect for this murder, a man named Wolfgang Vladowski. But thankfully, Wolfgang had an alibi. I was at the log cutting show where we all sit and drink the beer and watch a man cut a log. You make fun of it, buddy. You wait until I'm starting to. You wait until I'm commentating the log cutting show from Chicago. Yeah, that's a good city. We we should do. And one day we'll be able to tell you where we're going to be going. We'll we'll be watching some of these log cutting shows. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That technically sounds like a a show where you watch a man shit. In yes, the bowl. of course. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but because Wolfgang was clean, the cops had no suspects, and Jack kept on killing. On December 5th, 1990, Jack murdered Heide Marie Hammerer, leaving her body in the woods to be found by hikers weeks later on New Year's Eve. But with this one, people were starting to notice Jack Unterweger in the red light district of Graz. Witnesses put a Ford Mustang with the license plate W Jack 1 at the scene. But as we said, Jack's writing assignments 
gave him a reason to be there. As a journalist, are you supposed to stick out that much? Like, would it make sense? You're showing up in a cherry red sports car with a vanity plate. You're dressed in a full white suit going on doing this shit. Like, that's where it seems to be. That's where he starts to enter into Batman villain territory, Mm -hmm. where it's being like he shows up in his Unterweger wagon. Right. (laughs) Like, you you could see it from a mile away. Yeah. A vanity plate for a serial killer does not seem that smart. It also seems right on brand right yeah but that's the thing he did learn a lesson in picking up victims in a car with his own fucking name on the license plate he learned very quickly that that was a dumb fucking idea so when he picked up and murdered Elfriedi shrimp three months later he did so in a volkswagen golf oh as if the volkswagen needed more bad press well speaking (laughs) of sociopaths you know michael jordan who i do respect very much i think probably the greatest of all time he's a winner he used to have mj23 on his vanity plate but then he realized that everyone knew it was him and that led to a lot of problems oh yeah because he couldn't drive anywhere so he had to change his vanity plate too so that's a sports association (laughs) yeah 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 it's um yeah to cupcake boy yeah to cupcake man yeah was it shrimp that made your na- your mind go towards uh, the NBA with Detlef Shrimp? Was that it? it? Was that the, Detlef was that kind Shrimp of a- with the Seattle Supersonics? He was That's one right. of the better German players. What? Yeah, <laughs> they had a German NBA basketball player. Detlef oh, Shrimp. Oh God, Def- Detlef Shrimp. Oh yeah, with Sean Kemp. Yeah, that was a great team. Yeah, you oh, should. You just named the two white dudes that are in basketball. Sean no, Kemp Sean is he Kemp- white? No, Sean Kemp was black. Yeah. Oh wow, I don't know. I know no, you're you thinking don't. of Vladi Divac. Oh, yeah. How would you even be thinking of Lottie Divac? <laughs> All right, can we just get back you to this media story? <laughs> it also seems like the close call scared Jack a little because Elfriedi's skeletal remains weren't found until the following October, about six months later, and they were found 400 yards from the nearest road. By that same token, though, Jack also found that undiscovered bodies removed a key piece of the jolt he got from killing. It took away the chaser. As a result, his next few victims were found in fairly quick succession, and Jack, reaching the limit of how many articles he could write about sex work in other cities, began killing in Vienna, his city of residence. Uh-oh. Okay, okay, how far do I put, how do I put, okay, no, 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 okay, um, the best taco stands near <laughs> the red light district. Okay, so that's what I start, switch to, that's I switch to an eating block. <laughs> Yeah. And then I can cover the local eateries and the rib sticking. Oh, some d- wonderful, delightful, just local diners and fucking and drives. Oh, that yeah. would be so much fun. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Yeah, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, we don't think you're the host for that. Um, but we did want to say love the article. However, we're moving on to a listicle format. <laughs> so if you could just date all of your red light districts, just break it out into a listicle for us. I can make a list of all make the things a- I've killed and all the things that I hate. <laughs> all I'm right. sorry, I meant... We're just going to need a listicle. (laughs) Over a period of just one month, from April 8th, 1991 to May 7th, Jack killed four women, all sex workers, one every 10 days on average. Jeez. With this spree, though, Jack finally settled on the signature that would eventually get him caught. He still drove them out to the woods, got him naked and strangled them to death. But Jack was now leaving the strangulation implement tied around the victim's neck instead of disposing it elsewhere. In the case of the Vienna victims, they were all strangled with either their stockings or leotards, which had been fashioned into elaborate nooses that allowed Jack to apply enormous pressure. Do you think that there is also a psychological link 
to using their clothes. Yeah. That show. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously he's doing yeah. it for a point, but, but I wonder yeah. in my mind, like, is it just that he shows I can kill you with anything? That I don't need a knife, I don't need a, a pipe, I don't need anything. I kill you just from what you're standing there wearing. I think it is. I mean, you're, we're getting into armchair psychiatrist territory here, but that's where I, I'm comfortable. I, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it it, uh, it speaks to a the, his sick sense of irony. Is mm-hmm. uh, I th- I think he does have a sense of irony where he wants to kill uh, the victim with uh, their most intimate piece of clothing. Yeah, that's uh, something. Yeah. yeah, something that could be uh, used for comfort. Something that that should be something that only uh, you know only loved ones see, uh, or in this case, you know, customers or doctor it's not, or it, custom agent or sometimes you got to show it to a traffic cop. Something that's Sometimes, very intimate. Yeah. I mean, it's not strictly irony, but I'm also not giving Jack a whole lot of fucking credit here. Yeah, uh, I don't for, want for to, knowing uh, exactly what strict irony is. And again, I'm just going to add a little levity here. I know. That's inappropriate. <laughs> levity. That's I, inappropriate. I, 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 I'm not victim blaming by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying, how strong were those clothes? I mean, they, because nowadays you buy underwear, you get a strong bean fart. And those will disintegrate off your body. <laughs> Things used to be made better. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and victim blame you, Kissel. Thank you. <laughs> you might be if all of your underwear just disintegrates off your body. Off the body. <laughs> I am going to say. When was the last time you had a pair of underwear for more than three weeks? I wear. I have underwear for years. Yeah, years and years. You might be the source. The calls coming from inside the house. <laughs> I'm not answering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the extra layer of cruelty here is that the bodies were all stumbled upon by people just trying to have a nice day in the woods. It's not like this was, you know, the sort of like, uh, you know, you where you would have in certain missing persons cases where you've got people that are out actually looking for the bodies. He put them in places where people would find them by accident. He's doing it to ruin their day. He's doing it to put in a place where it'd be easily found. Yeah. Silica Zogler was found by a couple on a forest stroll, while Karen Araglu was found by a woman out looking for her guinea pig's favorite food. <laughs> like the definition of a fucking frolic. It's so, yeah, you're just looking for guinea looking pig for food. Guinea pig. What's oh the my favorite God. food of the guinea pig? I mean, our <laughs> guinea pig loved a hamburger. No shit. <laughs> Didn't your guinea pig die in the middle yeah. of the night? Yeah, you know, everyone knows <laughs> a massive heart attack from all the hamburgers. <laughs> But despite the fact that Unterweger was a literary celebrity, some sex workers didn't know his face any more than the average American sex worker on the streets in 1970 would have been able to recognize John Updike or Truman Capote. Although I'm sure there were and are plenty of well-read sex workers. I can't recognize John Updike or Truman Capote. I think you can. The thing is, Updike, no idea. No, no idea. clue. He could yeah. be anywhere. I could smell human uh, Truman Capote, though. Yeah, he, I you were about smell. to call Truman Capote human shitty? Human Chipotle. <laughs> human crapoli? Sure. Either way. No, human capote. He's my favorite writer, Ben. Show some respect. No, I'm not. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, this just showed the inside of Mr. Marcus Parks. I was thinking he smelled very good. Mm. But I'm saying Truman Capote smelled he had a, I'm sure that he was a covered scent. in fa- the, fantastic scent. The only author mm-hmm. I know who he looks like is Stephen King because he gets put he puts himself in all his movies. Yeah. Stephen King is not an ugly man. He's an he is a character. He has a character's face. We'll move on. I just think he's handsome. But concerning the women in Austria, one sex worker who didn't recognize Jack Unterweger was Regina Prem. She wrote in her diary, which was later used as evidence in Jack's case, 
about a man she called the comedian. Oh, God, oh, no. She wrote that the comedian jabbered on and on about his film projects and his books, but was at the same time particularly proud of his prison tattoos. She also wrote that he had a kink for handcuffs and would, quote, satisfy himself perversely on top of her. I actually, I wonder if he was similar to Chikatilo where he had a hard time getting it up. No, he didn't. Uh, he had no problem at all. We'll see Thanks later on. Thanks for the confidence, Marcus. <laughs> no, Marcus. There's no, he, evidence. There's he, evidence. Marcus knows all about people's erections ability, erected erection abilities. I during the course of this fucking show over the last ten years, I found more. I found out more about the erections and ejaculation habits of men and serial killers than I'd ever wanted to fucking know my entire goddamn life. And isn't but Carolina you know lucky? Isn't she a lucky lady? <laughs> we'll focus on that during our next relaxed fit. We'll talk. Marcus, I have a lot of questions for you. You have a lot of questions? Oh, great. Yeah, we can talk about how the, the hardest part about writing the book was to figure out different ways to in the Andre Chikatilo chapter to say, and then he ejaculated. <laughs> <laughs> it was a challenge. I'm sure it is. And thusly, and he shot. He shot. <laughs> and the spunk moved from his balls as if it was escaping prison. <laughs> Regina Prim became victim number seven. But after Jack killed her, he decided to take the psychological torture on this one a bit further. And he began calling Regina's husband, Rudolph, after Rudolph reported Regina missing. Jack called Regina's husband and said, Wenn der Akta im Zenit steht, dann sage ich dir, wo deine Frau liegt. Translated to English, he said, when the figure eight at the zenith stands, then I will tell you where your wife lies. Jesus. He, you know, yeah, the, the B-level Batman villain is really showing himself here. I mean, I honestly, <laughs> honestly it's just such a dickhead thing for him to do. He's a, yeah. he's, I'm going to do a Ben Kissel here. He's not a nice guy. He is not a nice guy. It was a horrible impression. Thank you, Mr. Zabrowski. <laughs> yeah, well, that was like almost Italian. Hey, like, he's, he's not, not a nice, he's a nice guy. guy. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. I've been doing this character. Let me just get to my real self. Oh, my God. It's so great to be here. This is so nice. Don't you feel good just finally being you? I love finally being me. Man, Marinara? <laughs> well, after that call, Jack continued the psychological torture, calling Rudolph twice in one night to say he executed Regina on the command of God oh. and that she was lying in the place of atonement, facing downward towards Hades. Then, about 10 days after Karen Oroglu's body was found by the guinea pig woman, Jack decided to insert himself into the criminal investigation by showing up at police headquarters under the guise of journalism to grill the chief inspector about the murders. This guy's oh such God. an insufferable prick. He just loves every minute of all of his crimes. He just completely embedded himself inside wow. of the world of his own crimes, which I think mm -hmm. is interesting for somebody who was living a double life like most serial killers do. Most serial killers strictly have a dividing line, right? right. Where it's like, you know, they say the beast or the entity comes and then he takes over and then I'm, you know, I'm kind of like a victim of myself where he is just very proud wow. of all yeah. of his work. See, Jack had gotten an assignment about sex workers because he'd given the Austrian Broadcasting Corporation, the ORF, his old cock and bull story about his sex worker aunt being murdered. And Jack said that he'd learned about the lives of sex workers since then and understood what they were going through. 
And using this story, Jack gained the trust of the police as well as the sex workers of Vienna. In interviewing the sex workers, Jack was able to talk directly to potential victims about the crimes he'd just committed, simply to explore the fear he was himself inspiring. Wow. So this is where the Berkowitz analogy comes in, right? Where Berkowitz kind of liked all the media and all the press, and he liked that everyone the was attention. so scared. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So, so he also liked that aspect of it. Yeah, and he's going directly to potential victims and asking them, how does this serial killer make you feel? And oh, he's wow. getting an extra jolt from that by being able right. to hear firsthand from potential victims uh, how scared they are. Jeez. Jack also began writing articles about the murders with claims that other journalists had no idea what the sex workers were going through and that their reporting was nothing more than greedy voyeurism fueling the middle class appetite for sex, blood and tears. It's just something about something about that i don't even sex blood and tears what's wrong with the middle class it's just very interesting (laughs) i like this is technically not for the show but the idea of like how many times people write like the super sympathetic things about like true crime shit and then you just find out like oh no they were a terrible person yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely the cherry on top of it all though was a radio piece jack produced called the fear in the red light milieu in which he began with the lie that his aunt had been murdered and ended with a call for the cops to do more to protect the sex workers of Vienna. Fucking jerk off. Now, all of Jack's friends in the media applauded each and every one of Jack's stories, but the cops weren't buying it because they were starting to see that the M.O. on Jack's known victim and the M.O. on the Vienna Woods murders were dovetailing. Interesting. Cops also began noticing that Jack seemed to be in the right place at the right time to cover these murders, which would have been fine because he was an investigative journalist if it hadn't been for the fact that Jack always seemed to be there before the murders took place. Yeah, it's starting to turn into Nightcrawler. Furthermore, Jack had also forgotten that ever-important piece of the criminal puzzle. Jack could never come up with an alibi, and the larger the investigation grew, the more cops could no longer chalk up his proximity to the murders as coincidence. This See, is, that's one of the nice things from COVID. If you did rent out one of those cardboard cutouts to make it look like you were at the big game this year, <laughs> you can take that cardboard cutout now as evidence that you were not in the red light district murdering a bunch of <laughs> sex workers. You, in fact, were watching Duke basketball. I mean, I wonder if sports are a part of the problem. I don't think so. In the early days of the investigation, though, the police didn't have any hard evidence on Jack. But Jack had friends in the police department, including his parole officer, who all told him that he was under surveillance. I mean, like, if you're his parole officer and he's already done the same exact crime as what is happening. Right. And you have to sit there and be like, why do you think this is where he might have gotten the idea that celebrity covers all of this shit? Yeah. Because all of these people are kissing his ass, acting as if he's so above doing these crimes again, even though he did the same exact crime. Well, in that, what they're really doing, they're not protecting him so much as they're protecting themselves uh, because all of these people had all vouched for Jack Unterweger and everyone in the government had fucking had vouched for Jack Unterweger and they're all just sitting there going like, oh, fuck, please, God, no, please don't fucking tell me he's fucking killing a person. Please tell me he's not killing a fucking person. Please. No, 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 no. All because he could write a poem. (laughs) Amen. That speaks to the power. That speaks Uh, to the true power of the written word. Yeah, I guess it does. 
there's like a quiet panic going on in the Austrian government at this point, and everyone's trying to cover their ass, and everyone's doubling down on Jack Unterweger. But it became clear to Jack that he'd have to go somewhere else if he wanted to continue his murder spree. But just going to another European country was still too close to home. So Jack went where Austrian police couldn't follow, and he booked a flight to a city where he knew the seedy underbelly was alive and well. Jack Unterweger went to Los Angeles. I love LA. <laughs> yeah, you just see driving through in a convertible. Honestly, just him sitting in the convertible with Randy Newman, just like hanging out. Because, you know, he's like, oh, Randy, where do you go to fuck? And he's just like, I go to my home with my wife. Oh, Randy. Yeah, well, let me tell you, Jack. Let me tell you, Arthur. I read so about short people. The other day, you want to hear it? That song is pretty funny. I do not want to hear it, Randy. <laughs> Now, Jack said that he was traveling to Los Angeles to write a story on crime, law enforcement, and sex work. But it soon became obvious that Jack was going to Los Angeles precisely because he knew there was a highly vulnerable sex worker population. So, when Jack's plane landed at LAX, he stepped out of the terminal wearing white pants, white snakeskin cowboy boots, a white cowboy hat, and a Navajo vest, which was apparently his fucking American costume. Uh, he's not wrong, because that is a decidedly LA outfit. But you know there was that dime size piece of piss on the front of his white jeans. Oh yeah, that's, that's what's right, man. That's white jeans are the worst. No, yeah, because you can see it. It looks like a little, like, teardrop yes. from your dick yeah yeah no no no, no. i'm way, we're, he was way too old to wear the white jeans anymore you can get away with that when you're like 25 but once you start hitting 40 your dick is leaking no unless matter what you, you do unless you are in the the hives yeah do you remember them? <laughs> oh yeah the band sure Almost immediately after landing, though, Jack went straight to LAPD headquarters downtown. Once there, he presented his press credentials and was immediately given permission to do a ride-along with an LAPD cop car. Oh, hell yeah, you're German? You want to try my gun? <laughs> hell yeah, welcome to America. Yeah, you know, you just squeeze the trigger, yeah. <laughs> then, by claiming to be in LA to research a story contrasting American and Austrian sex work, Jack asked the cops if they by any chance knew where that scene might be located in Los Angeles. Hmm. Without a second thought, the cops drove Jack to one of the worst places in all of America, downtown Los Angeles. Oh. And they told Jack to take his pick from the dozens, if not hundreds, of sex workers walking the streets on the edge of existence. I believe it's now known as Dola. And it it's is, nice. they're working on it, yeah. but there are good apartments, there are good apartments in downtown LA, there's some good, there's some good food, um, there's some good Mexican food, there's some really good Korean food. Is it called Down Dola? There. No, I mean, I don't know, but I oh. would, if I was a real estate agent. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's, it's uh, coming up, but Skid Row is where he was specifically, which is still not, uh, it, no one's doing a lot to help there. No. No. And so once the cops unwittingly showed Jack exactly where he could easily find victims, he set up shop downtown and took a room on the 15th floor of one of the most notorious buildings in all of Los Angeles, the Cecil Hotel. Ooh. Now, I remember when I did my L.A. true crime trip years and years ago. I remember ago. that. Yeah, and I this remember is, that. This is before people were talking about the Cecil Hotel. It was right after the Elisa Lamb story. And I remember going there and the thing about the Cecil Hotel is that when you, you, it is on the corner of what we be considered the dividing line between downtown LA 
and Skid Row. So downtown LA, like the last bookstore is right around the corner. When you, if you come out of the Cecil Hotel, make a right and a right, you're like in a nice, quote unquote, nice up and coming neighborhood where you walk yeah. over there and there's like high, like fancy stores. Uh, they're trying, there's a lot of clubs. They're, they're trying to revamp bookstore, the area. Last bookstore is delightful, by the yes. way. Love that place. But Everyone's you, standing and ejaculating. It's the same time. It's the same. <laughs> up but, and coming. But if you make a left and a left, you are in Skid Row, which is where yeah. I saw the dude with the jester hat wearing a diaper beating a uh, grocery cart with a baseball bat. And that's how <laughs> I knew I was in Skid Row, you know, because yeah. it, because it's kind of like the Tenderloin in San Francisco where oh they my. just kind of let everybody they basically put a bunch of disenfranchised people in that area they say all right you live here we're not gonna police you so you guys do whatever you want um but essentially what it does is lead to a world of um victims and predators yeah like east hastings in uh vancouver seems like a west coast thing yeah okay now as most people know by now the cecil hotel is essentially a fucking ghost factory now known primarily as the hotel where the now solved elisa lamb mystery took place the Cecil has a long and horrifying history that's near in a hundred years of misery. Built in 1924 as a hotel for traveling businessmen and long-term residents, the Cecil began to fall into disrepair and disrepute less than 10 years after its construction as a result of the Great Depression. Mm. Starting in 1931, the Cecil was home to a rash of at least six suicides in just a few years, committed with everything from self-inflicted poisonings and gunshot wounds to slashed throats. Now, things eased up during World War II and the resulting economic boom. But in 1947, the suicides picked back up. Only now, people were jumping out of the fucking windows. Technology changed. I guess. <laughs> One person jumped out of the 14th floor window and landed in the skylight of the building next door. Another landed on the hotel's marquee. And a third jumped out of the window after an argument with her husband and landed on a pedestrian, killing both. <laughs> I always feel... way to die. I feel for the janitors. <laughs> because they're the ones... Those are the guys who have no, to go I, clean up these bodies. No. If I'm the janitor, I clean inside. If they jump outside the hotel, that's sanitation. That's no. the city. I clean inside the hotel. No, they uh, they have corpse they have a uh, uh, corpse cleanup crews. Yeah, I, I guess most probably of- not not in nineteen forty four and not in nineteen forty seven. That was that was yeah. Bill's job. Yeah, 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 Bill had to go do that. They snapped yeah. at Bill, and Bill had to go yeah. run and <laughs> clean up blood. It's horrible. And then you're like, oh, I'm cleaning blood at home. I'm cleaning blood at work. Why am I not cleaning blood? So much blood, Bill. So much blood. And even apart from the suicides, the Cecil is no stranger to murder. The first that we know of was in 1944, when a woman named Dorothy Purcell, unaware that she was even pregnant, delivered a baby in a communal bathroom at the Cecil in the middle of the night. What a fucking nightmare. Without even waking up her husband and thinking the baby was dead, Dorothy simply tossed the infant out of the Cecil's window, where it was found later on the roof of the adjacent building. What, what, you what, whoa, oh my <laughs> god, I can't believe I've dropped my baby out this window. Who did that? Then in 1964, a woman called Pigeon Goldie Osgood, so named because she fed the pigeons like the woman in Home Alone 2, oh. was stabbed, strangled, raped, and killed in her room in the Cecil. Damn. Oh my From god. There, With by pigeons? 
No, no, be, by a man. By, by a, a man. man. Not, 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 not a bunch of pigeons not, not in a trench by, coat not who by stuck the pigeons up. Were, no. The pigeons missed her greatly. Okay. It did happen to Seagull Johnson. Yeah. Um, was actually eaten by a bunch of seagulls, but yeah. that's, we will cover that in uh, episode 700, Birds That Kill, yeah. uh, for last podcast on the left. I can't wait for that one. From there, the Cecil Hotel only got worse. And by the 70s and 80s, assault, rape, murder, and suicide have become something that one would expect at the Cecil Hotel. I did think it was a little bit inappropriate for Cecil to, like, have all of their rooms themed by said suicide, <laughs> by assault. It's like, what would you like to stay in? I'm sorry, our murder suite is $400 because it's a holiday. Oh, you mean to tell yeah. me I'm going to get murdered two times? I'm going to get murdered by you by the bill and then murdered by my husband? Yes. <laughs> all right. I guess I love you, Lee. <laughs> See, at the same time that the Cecil was falling further from grace, Skid Row, Los Angeles's infamous neighborhood where it's been sticking homeless people downtown since the 30s, was only growing in size and severity. All of these reasons were exactly why the Cecil became the place where perhaps the most feared serial killer in American history, Richard Ramirez, felt most at home. By accounts, Richard Ramirez would walk up to his room in the Cecil, still covered in the blood of his victims, because most residents just didn't care, or they just didn't notice. I tell you what, Ugh. if I was in the maid service, and I saw him walking to go to his room all covered in blood, I'd just be like, have a good night, sir. Uh, <laughs> I would not yeah, I get know. engaged, you know what I mean? I would not yeah. get involved, but you yeah. know. It was also in the Cecil that Richard Ramirez, after one of his most horrific murders, took the eyes of victim Maxine Zazara and set them on his bedside table for a sick admiration of his own crimes. Oh, my God. And it was on the 15th floor of this absolutely horrific place, about five or six years after Ramirez, that Jack Unterweger set up shop for another slate of murders in the City of Angels. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest. and. I guess I can share it here. 
I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hi. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Murder, however, was not Jack Unterweger's only reason for visiting L.A., while he certainly told people he was there to write about the dark side of the city, he also planned to write a magazine article called Strong Women of L.A. Yes! <laughs> yeah, he's that, doing again! Self-care killer strikes again! Self-care killer, what a guy. The focus of this article was supposed to be Cher. Because oh. Cher, she was, I mean, this was a time Cher was big. She had Moonstruck. She was, uh, she had Witches of Eastwick. She was hot off the success of If I Could Turn Back Time. Yeah, if I, I Could Turn that, Back Time was only like a year before. That video where she's just got like one stripe of clothing. Yep. She yeah. looks great in that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And of course, we know from Back to the Future too what people would do if they could turn back time. They would gamble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack hoped that his contacts in the Austrian film industry would be able to make a meeting with Cher happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, Please, don't you know meet that. this man, Cher. Don't meet this man. <laughs> but when, of course, fucking none of his contacts knew Cher, Jack tried a backdoor approach. 
Using a map of the star's homes that he bought from a street vendor, Jack found the home of famous socialite Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh yeah, she slapped the cop. I remember Zsa Zsa. <laughs> she was saucy. Figuring that Zsa Zsa had to know Cher, or at least knew someone who knew Cher, Jack rang the doorbell and asked if someone, anyone, could help him get an interview. Predictably, no one did. I mean, that's, again, very L.A. Just someone knocking on your door, just being like, hey, buddy, I just want to know, are you a P2P source that you can put me in a contact with? Because I have resources. Can you connect me to um, Cher? He is the dumbest man. This is just like... He just going to find a famous American actress and only because he's just in America. Yeah, sure. He's just like, oh, I'm in America. I guess I'll find Cher. That's very common, though. That is a very common thought. But that is like going to London and be like, where's the queen? People do that. Yeah, but you don't don't go to meet the queen. (laughs) In London. I know for a fact I walked around being like, where's the queen at? All right, come on. You're an idiot. Where's the queen at? Because honestly, well, the Buckingham Palace was a lot smaller than I thought it would be. I, we could talk yeah. about it all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, now it's a little different because of the internet and such. But back in like, you know, like 1991, like people's view of America was so fucking skewed. Uh, it was so strange. You know, people flying to New York and saying like, you know, I'm going to take a day trip to Cleveland to go to the fucking, you know, rock and roll uh, Hall of Fame. Like people just had... Right. Their ideas of America were sitcoms and movies, and they didn't really know a hell of a whole lot else about us. All right. So Jack, instead of interviewing Cher, he had a wonderful time at the Los Angeles Gay Pride Parade Mm -hmm. and even took pictures with a Tina Turner impersonator named Bobby Etienne, which was the closest Jack ever got to interviewing a famous strong woman in Los Angeles. That's better than Cher. It is. (laughs) Yeah. Someone with a real L.A. experience. Absolutely. Well, while in L.A., Jack also got a taste of the indifferences of the movie industry when he had a meeting with director Robert Dornhelm, who's mostly known for a long stream of mediocre TV movies like 2003's Rudy, the Rudy Giuliani story, starring James Woods as Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) Oh, wow. That went to the top of the list. (laughs) It's just really sad. The two movies that are named Rudy are both based off of people who might not be the smartest. <laughs> Rudy Rudiger a... came to speak at my school, could not understand a word he said. All he wanted to do was practice. <laughs> it's true. Back in 1991, though, Dornhelm met with Jack and was highly disturbed by the way Jack described his first murder during their meeting. <laughs> just oh like, my God. I he mean, just talked about it? Yeah, yes. he, he's, he's like, essentially tried explaining it away as temporary insanity. You know, he blamed it on his violent grandfather. He blamed it on the resemblance to the mother. Uh, but in Austria, you know, like this excuse, it came with a whole backstory and a celebrity veneer. In America, it just made Jack sound fucking crazy and dangerous. Right. So Dornhelm gave him a well-deserved, I'll call you. I'll call you when I call you. But also, you know, in the true Hollywood sense, you know, for a second he thought, he's like, will this work? Is there, can we do TV? <laughs> of course. Just for prisoners. Is there a way to do it? All right. Okay. Let me just think about this. Is there a way? Because Jock, he's pretty handsome. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, he crunched the numbers. He squeezed the grapes and uh, he just said, no, I'm sorry. We have no TV movie for you. But at the same time that Jack was stalking chair, going to parades and bothering TV movie directors, <laughs> he was also committing murders with a flavor of brutality that hadn't been seen in Los Angeles since the Hillside Stranglers. See, as opposed to European sex workers who just fucking let it all hang out, American sex workers wear bras. Wow. And 
And it was with these intimate articles of clothing that Jack Unterweger found an even more horrific way of strangling women to death. With all three Los Angeles victims, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Sherry Long, Jack constructed a noose from their bras. Using a knife, Jack cut one of the shoulder straps, then cut an incision in the cup. The shoulder strap was then run through the incision, separating the top and bottom elastic bands. And this enabled him to exert force with three cords and play with Mm. how much constriction he could apply. And because he had this extra force, Jack Unterweger compressed the necks of the three Los Angeles victims to a circumference of six, seven, and eight inches, where the average circumference of a woman's neck is twice that. Jesus. Then, once the victim was dead, Unterweger would tie the ligature off at maximum tension using a precise combination of intricate loops that were the same every time, which told investigators in L.A. that the killer had done this before and would do it again. And he's a little similar to, this is the BTK Mm. idea, that obviously he spent a good amount of time strangling them like yeah. he was a it was like a process where he would he would like choke them and then release choke and release where Ugh. he was trying to make it uh, so are we talking are we talking hours i mean torture minutes. Here? Min- min- still minutes yeah. but longer than it would be if he just straight did sure it. sure yeah now los angeles isn't known for their forests but in keeping with his mo jack still found suitably wooded areas in which to murder these women with shannon exley The best he could do was a vacant lot surrounded by eucalyptus trees, and it was there that her body was found by a troop of Girl Scouts picking up trash. Because in the L.A. Girl Scouts, you can get a badge for finding a dead body. Yes, you do get the found (laughs) dead body badge. I remember that from Troop Beverly Hills as well. Fantastic film. Jack killed two more women over the next two weeks which made LAPD investigators think that Los Angeles had yet another serial killer. But just as suddenly as they began, the killing stopped because Jack went back to Austria. And the cops went, whew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, time to get some rest. Did they not? And again, I know hindsight. We have it and we so we can be like super smart. But didn't they realize these murders may have been tied to the person that Drove Not them that they didn't Not think even that maybe close. this guy that just came into town it and stayed right so downtown. And He's Skid Row was Skid Row was so fucking chaotic. Yeah, it's so chaotic. It's why this shit happens. They specifically let it all go down there so they don't have to investigate it because it's so hard to to track anybody down, especially like. So when someone's murdered by a stranger, that is one of the hardest crimes yep. to solve. Mm-hmm. Like and yeah. stringing them all together, they didn't. They were not prepared. Okay. Yeah. Now, when Jack returned to Austria, the public had been whipped into a full frenzy over what had come to be known as the Vienna Woods murders, mostly because any murder, even the usually dismissed murder of sex workers, was not a regular thing like it is here in America. It's not just a part of the culture where you might get violently murdered at any time. In Austria, sex work is just as safe as any other occupation, and the homicide rate of sex workers is no higher than, say, the average office worker. By contrast, sex work in the UK is still, by far, the most dangerous profession in the country. Because of this, though, the homicides in Austria were a disturbing anomaly, and the police were under pressure to find the culprit. But at the same time, the police were also under pressure to not investigate Jack Unterweger. Oh my god. We caught him and released him already. 
You know yeah. what I mean? We can't bring him back into the system. We just we, we just released him. Everybody's so happy that we released him. We can't get, bring him back now. Everyone's going to be mad. <laughs> Sergeant, I don't know what to tell you. I'm the governor of this town, and I'm just going to tell I'm just going to tell it to you like this. We're in a pickle, you see? Yeah. We let a killer go, and yeah. it turns out he may have killed a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Don't investigate him. But do we have anyone that we could frame for this? I have my cousin Grook. I hate Grook. Let's put him in there. But despite the fact that Jack's established MO and the new murders were almost the same, and despite the fact that Jack had been seen in the vicinity of the murders when they were being committed, the media just didn't want to be wrong about Jack. At the same time, though, more and more people on the outside of the traditional media, specifically true crime journalists, they were not so dazzled by Jack's supposed transformation like the intellectuals who knew fuck all about crime were. Both they and the police were starting to put together information that pointed towards Jack being the Vienna Woods killer. And once again, word got back to Jack that he was being seriously considered as a suspect. Oh my God, I'd just like to say thank you for your consideration. I was just in LA. <laughs> just being nominated is, so is nice. an honor. So nice. Because, you know, I just, it's just amazing to get the attention. You can't relieve the bump I get every single time I'm investigated. <laughs> so, in another miscalculation, Jack tried getting ahead of the story by going to the chief inspector in charge of solving the Vienna Woods murders to share the details of his trip to L.A. <laughs> yeah, and there's, like, you can't believe the shopping there. That's where I got this incredible necktie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were going to ask about that yak because it looks like it is an undergarment of some sort that you cut into, like, a various kind of, like, and it's, honestly, it's very scary looking. <laughs> yeah, it's high fashion. I met Cher. You did? You met Cher? Yeah. What was she like? Tall. Yeah. Anything else? I had a churro. Wow. But going to the chief inspector and just telling him, hey, I went to Los Angeles to investigate the sex work scene in LA, that only made the inspector more suspicious. Of course. Jack then went back again a little while later to talk about the story he was writing, at which point the inspector just told him, look, you're on the list of suspects. But this seemed to be part of Jack's plan. Jack told the inspector that he wasn't surprised, adding that this wasn't the first time he'd been accused of a murder he didn't commit. Oh, oh my God. fucking God. And as an example, Jack brought up the murder of Marsha Horvath, which was a murder he almost certainly committed. Yeah, it sounds like exactly like a thing I would do. And I was in the area when I would do it. Right. it and it's definitely a thing I have done before. But at the same time, oh, you're, you're a ninny. You're a ninny poo Whoa, you start going that. You start going down that road, my friend. You're, you're going to find yourself you in a ditch. You don't understand me. This, however, only gave cops yet another murder to connect to Jack Uderweger. Yeah, And of it course. gave them more information to feed into Jack's profile. It's just, it's unbelievable. You know, obviously, innocent until proven guilty, people do get accused of crimes they didn't commit. But if you utter the sentence, this isn't the first time I've been accused of a murder I didn't commit. <laughs> There's something going on that we do need to address. Now, inspectors did give Jack a chance to give himself an alibi. 
But that seemed to be the only thing Jack couldn't figure out. Hmm, alibi. What is that? Is that Italian for alibi? A man <laughs> named Al that goes with me to the store. Let me see if that is in the mm, alibi. <laughs> you really don't know much about words. You're a writer, but it doesn't... I know about my specific words. <laughs> I see. Okay. I was in jail for almost I, 10 years. I know for a murder, you should still be in prison for you know what? Honestly, this is on you because I should have been in prison this whole time. That's true. After two weeks of trying to come up with something, Jack came back and told the inspector that he just didn't have an alibi for the entire months of April and May. But he did insist that he couldn't have committed the murders because he was completely reformed. This feeds into narcissist magical thinking. Right. He kind of just figured, I'm going to skate. Yeah. No one's going to pin me down ever again. I'm the smartest dude that they've ever met. I'm the smartest guy I've ever met. And I'm the smartest guy I know. You know what I mean? So if I'm the smartest guy I know, and I'm also the smartest guy I've ever met, that's the smartest guy that's around. (laughs) The logic checks out. (laughs) Yeah. And also, like, he's still thinking everybody loves me. You know, he go he walks down the street and people give him high fives. Hey, Jack, you know, people are he can still get laid whenever he wants. You know, he's still able to manipulate everyone around him. I just want a microbe of this confidence. Like, I just want like a little bit of it. Just so I could feel just what it would be like to have the vanity plate. And he's well, going like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. I drove by the five foot eight and under store recently. And I guarantee you they have a suit just for you. I know. A white disco suit, Henry. <laughs> it's all that. It's Truly. all it is, is Austrian fashion. There. Yeah. I do get it. You know, I have to go to big and tall stores, which it, there's a shaming process whenever yes. you have to go to a special store. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. But it is still better than having to go to the five and eight. I, five it's just the problem is the clothes are not good. But also, no. the sto- Marcus, the store is so funny because it's short. It's small. Dude, I know it's the a, store. It's a no, no. Store. I, know, I know the store. My aunt, my aunt lives like right near that store. And every time I visit LA, I always go it's by the store. Short, and I, I point. Actually, I want, no, Henry, I once like took a picture of the store and texted it to you. I remember like, hey, oh, Henry, yes. I found your store. I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, I've been in there, buddy. You fucking piece of shit. I shop there. I would shop there if they have something for me. But it's just, it's just stuff to dress like little Stevie from the E Street Band and then funeral director outfits. And also, the try-on areas are also smaller. Oh, that's so cute. So what if you're short? Well, that's, a, fat? that's why I love the big and tall stores because all the mannequins are huge and it makes you dress like a soccer coach who was just fired. <laughs> well, concerning alibis, for the murder of Karen Aroglu, Jack used his old standby of admitting to a smaller transgression to avoid responsibility for the big one. And he said that on that night, he'd been having consensual and legal sex with a schoolgirl named Katarina. Schoolgirl named Catalina. Wait, he's what? Been Katarina. Having... Kat- Katarina. Katarina. He's been having <laughs> legal. That's also when you got a hit. I've been having legal sex all <laughs> night. And you're like, I... is she oh. like a co-ed? Is she in college? Or are no, we talking she's high like... school. We're, we're talking high school girl. Oh, okay. so this is back in the day. Well, Dax tastes, they tended to skew young. And in the mm. fall of 1991, he met the woman who would be his almost constant companion until he was finally arrested for the 10 murders. Her name was Bianca Mrak, and she was just 18 when she and Jack began dating. But in the relationship with Bianca, Jack was merely showing another side of his predatory nature. Again and again, he'd find a girl unsure of herself or a girl going through a hard time, and he, as a man in his early 40s, 
would control their every move and essentially turn them into servants. For example, when Jack's earnings took a nosedive because most people didn't like anything he released after purgatory, he asked Bianca to work for an escort service to earn the money. When she found out that it wasn't just literal escorting, like showing people around town and was in fact a <laughs> sex work position. That's how she innocent fucking, she was. She refused. Yeah, that's how innocent she was. Yeah, she, he just didn't like, say yeah, no. tour guide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not a butler for Austria. That woman. So he's <laughs> so he is. Uh, so, he, yes, that is horrible that he would make somebody. Do, yeah. Oh, I, no, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, there's no possible way he could be with somebody uh, his age or any mm -mm. sort of uh, th that he could have an equal relationship with the I just, whole point was total control if someone was yeah. like hey you should think about doing escorts and then the person's response is oh like i do know the sites i could walk people around to like yeah it'd but be i like, need google you maps you know what i mean like yeah. it'd be kind of weird i'd still <laughs> oh, need to it, plot it out but. oh you don't know what the term escort means which means you're too innocent to do the job yeah. so yes. we're not gonna hire you <laughs> yeah if you got to explain what an escort is to someone they're not ready to be an escort yes then one day seemingly out of nowhere Jack and Bianca were walking by a jewelry store when Jack asked Bianca to marry him. Whoa. Yeah. She said yes. And from that point on, she did whatever he wanted. Now, at this point, Jack had already committed his last murder. Unbeknownst to him, Los Angeles had been the final hurrah. But that didn't mean he wasn't still committing crimes, nor did it mean that murder wasn't still on his mind. In January of 1992, mm. in the city of Graz, Jack raped a sex worker. And while she didn't report it to the police, she did tell a crime reporter who then told the police. Because the crime reporters of Austria were forming ranks around Jack Unterweger. They were the only people around. Crime reporters were the only people around. They're like, how can you, how do you idiots not see that this man is a serial killer? Do you right. think he's permanently cooled off or is it a thing that he, because, you know, serial killers go into dormant stages. They go back yeah. and forth. Like, is it that or did he just like, is this strategic? Like, I wonder if it's literally him rolling back because, you know, the heat's coming and now he's maybe getting some narcissist supply from Bianca. So he has like a, a someone he can fully control like he would do with a dead body. I thought about this. Uh, what I think what I kind of came upon as a, as a possibility is that he was being he was being looked at so hard and so uh, often and it so and for so and by so many people that i think what he was trying to do was he was trying to see if rape could satisfy his urges yeah that's to see if he could if he could do that and maybe it would give him the same jolt as say uh serial murder did yeah now this woman came very close to being murdered because jack had driven her out to the woods he'd gotten her completely naked and he'd cuffed her hands behind her back. But according to her, it was only her unceasing screaming that got Jack to stop and take her back to town. Or Jack just decided, I'm not going to do it. Using the statement, though, and other so-called coincidences, an inspector put together a report with the Vienna district attorney requesting an arrest warrant for the murder of seven women, which was denied for lack of evidence, hard evidence. The Graz district attorney, however, had no problem getting an arrest warrant there. But by the time police showed up to arrest Jack, he and his girlfriend Bianca were both gone and neither would return to Austria until Jack was arrested. Oh, my God. Just cut to them in the desert hanging out with Cher. <laughs> Cher finally answered my calls. Isn't that nice? But there were still plenty of people, including law enforcement officers, on Jack's side. 
He obtained inside information about the investigation from both police and, again, his own probation officer. And it was reporter Margaret Haas who had warned Jack about the arrest warrant. But for Jack, it was too late for excuses. Since he'd received so many subsidies from the Ministry of Art and Education, he'd had to document all of his expenses. Oh, shit. Oh, my and God. And he'd kept receipts for gas and hotel bills as was required by law. So he got caught by Wait. liberal red tape. <laughs> like he got caught by the big machine. He was raping and murdering his way across the and world. And keeping his receipts. Because that was the law. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand the mind. Yeah. Of, well, he wouldn't get, he couldn't get the money if he didn't turn in never, his receipts. And, and also I would like to say, I've never torn anything off of the mattress. With the mattress, they say you tear it off, you get five years in prison. I've never done that either. So yeah, I raped and murdered a bunch of people, but look at all the things I didn't do wrong. At least he kept his receipts. I oh have my never once kept the receipt Never. for a single thing. I find it offensive when I'm asked to keep the receipt from Starbucks because one iced coffee is a foot long receipt. I don't know why. And now I'm just going into a Mitch Hedberg bit. You said it. Save it for material. I we got a tour coming. Hate receipts. Well, using these receipts, police were able to put together a timeline and a roadmap for every single one of Jack's murders. But besides the European murders, investigators also began to get curious about what Jack had done in Los Angeles. So Austrian investigators called up the LAPD to ask them if they had any unsolved murders involving Jack's M.O. from the time Jack was in town. And sure enough, the LAPD came back with Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez and Sherry Long. You can just see the file cabinet next to the person taking the call. Do you have any uh, un unsolved murders in L.A.? And it's like five stories high. Let me just check. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> but I also wonder if they're like, because, you know, it's so hard to get the police to help you to do anything, especially from an international case. I wonder if the Austrian police are just so cute to the LAPD where they call them. You're like, these fucking Hummel characters just called me. I think a guy called me. And I could hear the Lederhosen on. Let's, let's help this fucking guy. Let's help him out, buddy. Wolf, tell me, Mr. Police Officer yeah. man from America. I would love just a little bit of evidence from you. Yeah, can you just say one more thing? Can you say, they put the pudding on the puff for me? They put the <laughs> Putting on the puff. Oh, I love cop. <laughs> These Nutella-filled creatures from hell are adorable. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jack had fled to the Italian border city of Tarvisio and had begun to call in to the Austrian Broadcasting Corporation, the ORF, to do live interviews protesting his innocence. He still couldn't stay away from Bob and Tom in the morning. Of course not. What a freaking... Uh, wow. In one interview, Jack said that the police were merely trying to hang the murders on him because they were under pressure to solve the murders, and Jack Unterweger was just a convenient target. But while the crime press pushed back, the regular press ate it up and published stories with titles like The Grotesque Murder Witch Hunt, Mishaps, Malice, and Lust for Character Assassination. Oh, fuck you. Nothing's changed. Nope. See, using the persecution story, Jack could explain why he ran. In his telling, he was not a potential murderer trying to escape conviction, mm. but was instead almost a folk hero running from a police force that couldn't stand to see a former criminal raising himself up. Yeah, it's always fucking Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan. 
Jack Unterweger. <laughs> I love I love Jack Unterweger's pancake house in Wisconsin. Honestly, if there was a man named Unterweger and had a pancake house and had a pancake house or a flapjack hoot with an umlaut in Wisconsin, I'd be there in a fucking second. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. And since Italy was a little too close to Austria for Jack's comfort, he and Bianca decided to ill-advisedly flee to America, funded mostly by money taken from Jack's teenaged girlfriend's mom. Not the taken, most, she gave it to them. That's the okay. most romantic source. If we've learned anything from Bonnie and Clyde or any uh, of these stories, you always mm-hmm. take money from your child the bride's family. Only possible <laughs> upside of marrying somebody who is much older than you is that they have money. Yeah, if yeah. you're the mom of this daughter, you're like, you married a 40-year-old man, you're only 18, and you need my money now? <laughs> he has you both, married a man that is my age. He has a Ford Mustang, which is his day car, Sell not that. for murdering. He's got his Volkswagen golf. Sell But you can't sell that. There's too many memories in that. Oh, my God. He's just they're full of murder. Well, part of the reason why he uh, was broke is because Jack Unterweger owned six cars. Yeah. And they were all nice. He had a Mercedes. He had a Ford Mustang. And of course, you know, the Volkswagen Golf. But he's such a moron. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Well, he and Bianca landed in New York, but eventually made their way to Miami because Bianca, as she later said, quote, Liked Don Johnson. The most Austrian European ver- why you go to Miami. Like, it's yeah. just, I went there to go see if there was Don Johnson was hanging out because it's just something about this whole vice thing I like to be a part of. Yeah, oh Miami Vice. This was when this was when this was, you know, after Miami Vice, of course, had uh, ended in America, but when it was just getting real big in Austria. So she wanted to come to America to see Don Johnson and he wanted to come to America to see Cher. We yeah. have both kinds of idiots coming to <laughs> coming to visit our wonderful shores once they arrived in florida though the romantic tv adventure was at an end jack made bianca get a job at a strip club to pay for a bare mattress and a used typewriter Ugh. and their three-month anniversary was celebrated with lunch at burger king Whoa, Marcus, Mr. Disdain. Nothing wrong with the burger. Also, no one should celebrate. Nothing a, wrong with nothing. No one should ever celebrate a three-month anniversary. Number that's one. That's what I mean. Well, that's weird. That is weird. Well, but also, that is, you got, that is weird. But you just there's a lot of people currently celebrating right now their anniversary, listening to us at a Wendy's. I mean, that's a good plug for Wendy's. I, my main thing is that you have an anniversary at Burger King if you got married at the Burger King. Yes. Oh, that's That'd also a nice idea or because you then you can have McDonald's cater it. If you met at Burger King, not if you're that's a 40 cute. year old man that's you know convincing his child bride to go on a nice, uh, what is it, adventure through America. See, what we're missing from this conversation is the context. Yeah. yeah. Is that, <laughs> it is that part of it. Yeah. Now, it didn't take investigators long to figure out that Jack was in Miami because Jack was still doing <laughs> interviews with Austrian broadcasters. And in the background, it's just... That does not sound like our homeland. <laughs> and U.S. Marshals were tasked with tracking down Jack and Bianca. Before long, four Marshals waited outside of Jack's hotel room and took him down after a brief and pathetic chase bringing the career of the Vienna Wood Strangler to a swift end. Look over there. Oh, got you, bitch. You're trying trying to escape. Go look over there. Oh. Yeah, we're. Holy fucking shit. You are beating it. The fuck out of (laughs) here. Yeah, bro. Welcome to America. (laughs) What happened was that he uh, was was walking out of his hotel room for a morning jog uh, and then noticed. Hey, Marcus, please say the German word. 
Yog. Thank you. <laughs> very, very nice. Uh, and then noticed that the U.S. Marshals were starting to uh, surround him. So he took off pretending to Yog. Uh, and then once the U.S. Marshals said, hey, fucking set, cool it, you're, you're under arrest. He tried taking off running, but uh, the jog did not turn into a run very easily. And they took him down pretty fucking fast. Oh, he Sad. tried to go fast, but he's still just German. He's just Austrian. <laughs> like, you can't go that fast. <laughs> Now, Bianca was flown back to Vienna to be questioned about her time with Jack. All the jelly on the bottom of his feet slipping and stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, just pre- why did he wear Again, his peanut butter shoes? Straight up, Lederhosen is not breathable. It's all leather. <laughs> but Jack was flown back to Los Angeles to oh. answer for the three murders he'd committed there. Again, I don't always advocate for American policing, but sometimes it's it's nice. Yep. Yeah. yep. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Now, both Austria and California wanted to convict Jack Unterweger for the murders in their respective countries. But Austria, who was able to convict Austrian citizens for crimes they commit anywhere in the world, actually had the harder job. In Austria, they had to convince the majority of the public that Jack, the charismatic celebrity criminal turned writer, was actually evil. In Los Angeles, Jack Unterweger was just some weird foreign fuck who'd killed three women on vacation. And you don't kill our women. No, (laughs) that's our job. God damn it. And in 1991, Jack Unterweger probably wouldn't have even made it past the fucking local news as far as coverage went. Wow. Uh, Really, the LAPD had, at the time of Jack's arrest, only circumstantial evidence for charging Jack. And as a result, they had him for only 90 days on a special commission in which to prove their case. If they didn't make their case, they'd have to let him go. And if Jack fought his extradition to Austria successfully for those 90 days, he could then disappear into most likely Mexico and therefore avoid prosecution. Judging by footage I've seen of early 90s LAPD, I think they could beat the fuck out of him in around four minutes. So 90 days yeah, will be yeah. plenty of time for <laughs> them to beat the hell out of the that's guy. That's a lot of beating the shit out yeah. of the guy. Yeah. Speaking of early 90s LAPD, during uh, Jack Unterweger's LA trip, he tried getting an interview with Daryl Gates to ask him about the police. Uh, oh, and they wow. denied him. They did not what? let him in. Yeah. But this is right after the riots, too. He huh. really tried. Okay. Yeah. But after Jack Unterweger... They kind of hinted that he was going to fight extradition. The LAPD reminded Jack of a little American tradition known as the gas chamber. (laughs) And so within 24 hours of his arrest, Jack said, take me to Austria, you motherfuckers. And so he went there to answer for seven murders on his home soil, as as well as three in America and one in Czechoslovakia. That is fascinating. So Austria, they charged him for the American murders. Yeah, I guess they do that. I didn't know that they could do that. Austria, like that's part of Austrian law that they can, an Austrian citizen can be charged and tried for a murder they commit anywhere in the world or any crime that they commit anywhere in the world. Oh my. But even after Jack Unterweger was brought back to Vienna, the media still supported him because Jack Unterweger was one of their boys. And the talk show host who'd originally supported Jack continued his support using ridiculous logic. He said, quote, if he was the killer. He would be one of the cases of the century. Statistically, the chance that I would know one of the cases of the century is so unlikely that therefore, <laughs> I think he is not guilty. Well, I'm just so happy Pierce Morgan has had such a long career. It's amazing. It's amazing. 
Jack's girlfriend, Bianca, stood by him as well, saying that he couldn't have killed those women because they weren't his type. And she couldn't imagine someone with such beautiful hands using them for such brutality. The only thing (laughs) that Jack ever did was played the piano at the hotel. I don't think so, man. I mean, when we went to the Burger King, and it was so nice to meet him, his his regalness of the burger. (laughs) Yeah. And you get the chicken sandwich with all of the delicious sauce on it. You didn't get the burger? No, I did not want to insult. Keep the burgers for the king. You are. Okay. (laughs) Those are his burgers. I don't think you understand American franchising. Well, some people almost immediately flipped on Jack after he was arrested. The man who had led the campaign to release Jack from prison the first time, a publicist named Gunther Nining, (laughs) issued a public apology and cut ties with Jack. But he was one of the very few who did so. I just want to publicly say I distance myself from Jack Unterweger and I also want to apologize for all of the horrible accusations I have thrown at that one guy's cousin's Grook. And what yeah. he did because Grook did nothing wrong. I had an alibi. Hello, I am Grook von Schnickenschnacken. And I, I was at the windmill factory. <laughs> I know it's racist I, to even say it. I know. I know. But, uh, but yeah, we, some of not, us are windmill f- maintenance men. You should be. The windmill's just fine. And you, my friend, you that alibi checks out. <laughs> yeah, because I was the only ones there. But if you talk to us, hey, they have a long memory. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when Jack was further questioned about the murders, he either had no alibis or his alibis were disproven. The only one confirmed was when he went and saw Silence of the Lambs with a sex worker, which was, by the way, Jack's fourth viewing of Silence of the Lambs in the theaters. It's a good movie, but I don't know if it's four <sighs> movies in the four times in the theater good. It is yeah. actually that good if you're watching it as like if you're studying film or just love horror films. He sounds like one of those people who really, really love Donnie Darko too much. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're just like, you know, like, it's, this is it's not, cool. This is but, not a personality. Right. Yeah. But that date ended at 1130 p.m., which was almost exactly when seventh victim Regina Prim was last seen alive, meaning Jack's supposed alibi actually strengthened the case against him by putting him in the red light district at the time of the murder. Oh my God. He alibi, is- alibi, it's a made up word. Well, you, you can call it, a, <laughs> uh, call it a galibi and it can no. be me hanging out with a woman. I, I have a galibi or you can call it a, <laughs> an, an abadu. You could just say any <laughs> fucking bullshit if you're going to make up words. All right, do you have a galibi or a babble-a-boo? No, I don't. Well, then you still <laughs> failed the test. <laughs> How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs, work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. And make sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword, except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. 
All right, so Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanadas already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real. But Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Well, as far as Jack's lawyer went... He ended up hiring an attorney named George Zanger, who very cleverly agreed to represent the now completely broke Jack in return for the film rights to Jack's life. Yeah. Oh, smart. Sweet plum. Now, Zanger, of course, did all the things. <laughs> you a fucking 90-year-old? Sweet plum? It's a sweet plum. Yeah, the it's film a rights sweet are a sweet plum. I'm letting him have it. I'm letting him have this one. You can say sweet plum. Yeah? All right. It's a sweet plum. Well, as far as... You are hungry. I am very hungry. Yes, I am very hungry. (laughs) Zenger, of course, did all the things a defense lawyer is supposed to do in situations like this, such as hiring PIs to find the real killer. But even with the public support, Zenger knew he didn't have much hope. Jack's DNA was being matched to the murders back in L.A. through hair he'd left behind in rental cars. And when Jack heard this news, he once again tried the suicide attempt escape ruse by slashing his wrists. Thankfully, though, fucking nobody bought it this time. Oh, yeah. As far as the trial went, it began on April 20th, 1994, which in Austria is very well known as Hitler's birthday. Oh, 420. Yay. 420. But they're not allowed to celebrate that, right? They don't. I think they acknowledge it. I mean, yeah, Hitler was like Austrian. A, do they have a sale? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. is there a barbecue thing you're supposed <laughs> to do over there? books or something, which is offensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I only mention this because when a reporter asked Jack if he thought Hitler's birthday was a bad omen, Jack said, quote, uh, Hitler was an innocent baby on the day he was born. So, no. So it's not a bad day. 
Well, that's a really great assessment. He was totally normal when he was born. When he was a baby, he was good. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with what he did as an adult, though. Yeah, but he, when that day is just the day he was a baby, so. God. And he I don't have a Galibu. <laughs> I don't have one of your gigabigs. I know you don't. That's why you're here in court. Now, Jack, ever the writer, kept a diary throughout the trial in which he self-pityingly painted himself as the victim in this whole ordeal. He wrote, Alexander, a conscientious warden. He bent me over and he looked up my butt. I imagined the scene in the courtroom. Trousers dropped. I pull a weapon out of my ass and open fire. <laughs> what? The animal was led through the passage, prepared for the media. Cruel. Roman arena. Cordoned off. With iron bars for my protection. Reporters with cameras. The calls make me nauseated. Yark, look over here. <laughs> Yark, could you turn this way? I smile. <laughs> feel empty. Not nervous. What is it with me? Have they degraded me into a machine? I grin. I am now an animal. Lion, wolf, cat, or snake. I myself don't know. Giraffe? It could be a giraffe. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is it's the first time I've ever seen an asshole actively form a smile. So thank you so much. It is for, a natural curve. It's a natural curve. That's great. That is crazy stuff. Now, the strategy of the defense rightly decided to capitalize on the one thing that had already gotten Jack out of prison once. <gasps> Charisma. Ooh, also, it was the 90s, so you can say, Jack Unterweger killed nine sex workers. Not! And then the jury would be like, that is one of the funniest goddamn things I have ever heard. I thought at first he did. Then he threw the he knot, knot in there. there. We're going to let there. him go. He got me. We're going to let him go. The whole time I was like, oh, is he admitting to the guilt? But then, not! What's up? They presented him. <laughs> We're moving on. They you presented him. <laughs> they presented him as charming, witty, and friendly all in an attempt to make it seem as if he was too human to be a monster. Look, okay, look, 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 look. This will be easy. Put on an episode of Three's Company. Yeah. Oh, it's when he falls down. <laughs> this is just, <laughs> I am like you. <laughs> yeah, that is a funny episode. I mean, essentially, they did the look at this face defense. Mm. Look at this face. You, you, not look me. at me this never face. Did a you just see me. both of his hands in different jars of honey. <laughs> Would he ever be able to do anything like that? I just like honey and I like my suits and my many yeah. cars. Oh my goodness. Tell me if this is the face of a murderer. Just look at this face. I don't have a rigorock. No, you don't. But I've seen his face. It looks like he could murder. Totally looks yes. like a serial killer. Yes, yeah. he's got tiny eyes too yeah. close together. He looks like a fucking Nazi. <laughs> but during the trial, it came out that the favorable evaluation that Jack had received in 1989 that resulted in his release, that had been no more than two 30-minute long sessions. Oh, my God. And they didn't even talk about the murder he had committed that put him into jail in the first place. Not because they didn't ask him about it, but because Jack didn't feel like talking about it. It's a lot for him to go through. Yeah, it was a lot for his victim to go through, too. But he has to so, remember all the stuff that they went through and what he went through at the same time. Yeah. 
Jack's attorney, in trying to shore up the human angle, then put Jack's mother on the stand, who joined in on the look at this face defense by saying, quote, Look at my boy. He's a pretty boy. Does he look like a murderer? My boy hasn't traveled halfway around the world murdering a football team of hookers. Oh, my God. Then just cut to Unterweger just trying to do the marshmallow challenge while he sits there like, I'm going to have a hard time eating these marshmallows. Uh, following this, I'm going to do the salt. The, the, uh, no, no, no. Jimmy Fallon comes in, rubs his head. Yeah. You know, just like you. Yeah. Jack's mother, however, ended up actually helping the prosecution, who, as a part of their case, had completely dismantled the story Jack created for purgatory. During cross-examination, Jack's mother said, quote, I was never a whore, and I don't, and I don't have a sister. I don't know why Hansi Rosat. He's very creative. <laughs> Just cut to Unterweger rolling himself actively in a small kiddie pool full of Nutella. Well, he in a swimming suit <laughs> with goggles on. But also, I'm just like you. He's staring at his mother too. I can imagine him just being like, "Oh, mom, I'm gonna fucking kill you when this thing is done." Because she's like, "He could never hurt the fly. I never sucked the dick." Blow Jeez. job. I work at the windmill factory with that guy's cousin's crook. Mom, I lo- you know, most kids would love if their mom publicly says they never sucked a dick, but uh, you're blowing this for me, Mom. I never can you, did mom, the can you just say, Mom, just I say never, you like to play with balls. I can you just play half with half? Did you ever stroke the shaft, Mom? Only your father. Can you just say that? Only your father. Oh, my God. The person who made things even worse was a young actress who toured with Scream of Fear, Jack's play about AIDS. She said on the stand that he told her, quote, Your nipple should be cut off and preserved in vinegar. What? Once that was said in court, though, the defense attorney fucking lost it and yelled, quote, this is what he actually yelled. Oh, come on. That was just guy talk. It's guy talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, to be honest, I think talk. we've all had conversations about cutting off nipples, preserving them God, in different kinds of things. All I think about. <laughs> well, if you wanted to make like the big booby monster, they should recast Jurassic Park. But instead of trying to get dinosaurs out of the amber, you put little nipples in the amber and then you create the world's biggest single boob. Yeah. Is the term... <laughs> Nipple pickle, cute. Nipple pickle. It, it is nipple. cute. Yes, it nipple is. Nipple pickle. Yeah, yeah. But the killing blow for the defense came from the FBI. The prosecution have flown over one of the FBI's top behavioral science agents, Greg McCrary. Greg McCrary's no fucking joke. Like this guy has written, he wrote a book about serial killing, serial killer profiling with Catherine Ramsland. This guy's fucking legit. And they brought him over to testify on all the marks that Jack Unterweger hit as a serial killer and why these marks helped prove that Jack was the Vienna Woods strangler. Now, Jack's defense attorney, woefully out of his depth and completely ignorant on the subject of American serial killers, asked what he thought was a rhetorical question. He asked, have you ever heard of a man who has frequent consensual sex murdering a prostitute? Now, the attorney asked this facetiously, thinking he'd cornered the special agent by asking something impossible. Instead, without even fucking thinking about it, Agent McCrary said, absolutely, Arthur Shawcross. Boom. Of course. Wow. They're here. They're everywhere. Like they're fucking everywhere. It's That's what very they do. common. They literally do that. <laughs> oh my god. Don't take the don't take this theme from 
uh, that wonderful bouncy thing with the gummy bears. They're here. They're everywhere. Now I'm totally derailing everything. Remember that what? cartoon <laughs> where they bounce around? How did you get there? Because he's the how did you get to how did you get to the gummy bears? Because that's the theme song. Is they're here. They're there. They're, they're everywhere. They're gummy bears. Bouncing wow. around. But then I just imagine Arthur Shawcross as one of the gummy bears. That's a horrible <laughs> idea. That's why I didn't even want to do it. And I just did it. He's got the body for it. He does. He's, he's he got does. the body of one of the, you know, like the, the bears that are filled with honey that you buy at the grocery store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, after that, the defense had nowhere else to go. Because Jack's movements were so closely linked to the murders, and because his hair had been linked to a murder in Los Angeles, and because he couldn't produce a single credible alibi... Who cares about a gullible? <laughs> Jack Unterbaker was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Oh my god, until of course he wrote Purgatory 2. And they said, alright, it's just that good, you're out of here. Later, his lawyer said that Jack looked completely deflated once the verdict had been read, like a oh. sausage that had lost its stuffing. <laughs> oh my god, that's one of the German. most aggressive things you can say in Austria. <laughs> oh my god. And on the way out of the court, a bailiff he fucking added ins he added insult to injury by kicking Unterweger in the butt. Woo! Gay man, one last shot. Get out of here. Jack, however, would not serve a single day of his sentence. What? The night of his sentencing, Jack fashioned a noose from a thin metal wire and the drawstring of his jogging pants. And he strangled himself using a knot eerily similar to the ones he'd used to murder 10 women. Wow. Now, most say that this was Jack's last act of control. But his friend Margaret Haas suspected that this was most likely another phony suicide attempt that he could use for sympathy or escape. Haas believes that Jack Unterweger was banking on the guard to save him, but either the guard didn't come in time or he simply sat there and watched while Jack Unterweger choked to death. Or he's I mean, taking a nap. Like in Manhattan. That, that one could Manhattan. be happening. <laughs> uh, honestly, they, they are very tired. They're overworked and underpaid. They're stressed. Um, that is literally what happened in Silence of the Lambs. That wow, is how right? he got out of prison. He took the person's mask. He took the person's face. He yeah. was like, oh, we need help or like we whatever help, it was. Yeah. But that was his theory. I think that may have been where he got the idea. Then the guard comes in, tries to save him. And yeah. before you know it, he's the guard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's just that's so true. stupid. That is true. I have to rewatch it. I that actually wonder if that is true. Because that's where he aggressively it. bludgeons the dude with the baton. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, oh, yeah. shit. Wow, that might hard. be. This yeah. man's a freaking moron. Well, uh, yes. And I, uh, I think that there's a there's a half a, there's a six of one and half a dozen of another here. Because I think that I believe anybody that this type of narcissist would, who's about to lose everything, it is makes a lot of sense for him to commit suicide in right. tracks. Yeah. But I could also see he's like, maybe... If then I he, start it, somebody will stop me and then everyone will feel sad for me again. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. well, as far as the intellectuals who once vociferously defended Jack Unterweger go, only a few have offered apologies. Although the ones who have apologized are very, very sorry for the role they played in the deaths of 10 women. Yeah, yeah. sorry as they were from 1939 to 1945. Oh, jeez. <laughs> they're, they're still very sorry about that, too. Well, they can't even have a standing army. Well, as far as the... Yeah, their army should be sitting down. Well, as far as the unrepentant went, one writer put it like this. 
For a while, it was chic to listen to the convicted murderer who had turned good. But not many of those who supported him then like to talk about it now. As former supporter Gunther Ninning put it, some blame should be affixed to the Viennese intellectuals, mostly because they broke into the life of a murderous criminal, then abandoned him. Really, I think what Gunther was trying to say is that when you make a pet out of a wolf, the wolf doesn't stop being a wolf just because he lets you scratch him behind the ears. And when he inevitably kills someone, it's partly the responsibility of the people who let him off the leash in the first place. Wow. I think that's a great analogy, and they should be held accountable. And I guarantee you, when when they were defending him, they were also openly mocking everyone who said that he was probably a killer. I'm sure that they were so mean and so smug. Oh, of course. And then as soon as it's all over and they were proven wrong, they'll just never be heard from again. They'll never mention it. And we're supposed to pretend like we haven't been gaslit for the best five freaking years. Yeah, they literally just have for now and in the early 90s. It's very interesting. Yeah. Wow. What a story, though. What a crazy fucking story this guy had. That is insane. Well, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> wow. I, that is, this is like BTK meets even something worse, which is an author. <laughs> oh. Hey, come on. Mark is half it But I mean, it really hey. is. Like, this guy is another mix of, like, yeah, oh, yeah with BTK, scumbaggery. Total like, shithead. Oh, Batman wow. villain. He's right up in there. So, did, did you reach a Batman villain that you would apply oh. to him? I did not, unfortunately. I honestly think if you were going to put him, because I'm trying to think. Wasn't there Does a it guy? have to be Batman? Well, in my mind, who's a part of the rogues gallery that would be inside of Arkham Asylum that would be left? Because technically he's kind of like, because he's a he's a serial killer who's highly intellectual. He's not really a scarecrow. I mean, maybe like the calendar or the calculator. Maybe the uh, calendar. The Honestly, calculator. that makes sense. The calendar? Yeah, yeah the calendar. There's a killer named the calendar in Batman? Calendar Man. Yeah, it's Calendar Man. Calendar Man? Yeah, Did somebody man. get fired over that like, idea? Doesn't he have like a big art? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, somebody, yeah. they had, they had Ca- to come you're up just with something. That literally day. late for work and you just, it's the uh, first thing you see. Calendar man. Calendar man. Watch, watch boy. Wasn't he in, uh, wasn't that in the, la- the, was it the long Halloween? Isn't the calendar man in that? Yeah, calendar man's in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there's also, uh, he's not really a scarecrow. Uh, not really. He doesn't no. really go up, lay off of other people's fears. Not really. Um, I don't know. I'm not also, really we sure. realized in another episode that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was Mr. Freeze. Did we talk yeah. about that? Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. He's okay. definitely Mr. Freeze. And uh, there was. And I, uh, yeah. And I would, I don't know. Maybe he's like a, like a dumb Lex Luthor. Um, maybe. Well, that's it. I just, you know, our audience asks for these. They have expectations of us. Yeah. 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 And sometimes we fail them. <sighs> yep. Yes, indeed. No, <laughs> calendar man. He is the calendar man, which is so fun. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you also for listening to all our new shows. We oh my roll God. out this fucking week. We oh, have yeah. got all of this shit. You got yours coming out real soon. Oh yeah, No Dogs in Space season one point one is coming uh, March twenty fifth uh, next Thursday. It's going to be a uh, five part series uh, that uh, is going to blow your fucking minds. You're going to love it. We've been working yeah. real hard on it. We got a uh, yeah two two in the can, Hell one yeah. in the can, one in the can, one in production. All right. Well, it's always important to remember that whatever you can do, you should do. 
to help people. Thanks for supporting <laughs> the Dune LPN Dune Deep Dive podcast. The response has been fantastic. It has so, been. And I want to say good job, Mr. Henry Zabrowski, and good job, Mr. Holden McNeely. He was uh, fantastic. Yes. He was restrained. He did very good. And then also, you have someplace underneath, but also did very well. I want to say thank you to everybody okay, great for all show. that. Um, so next week, we're going to have an alien episode which I'm very, very excited for. And then the week after that is our 10-year anniversary. So yeah. we're going to be doing something special. Live from Burger King. <laughs> I, I that's can't where we wait. Um, oh, nothing man. wrong with eating a little Burger King every now and again. Be careful. Those fast food burgers, they're trying to kill you. You know what's weird is that I do feel, and this is, again, hot take world. We're going to get uh, nailed hot for. Hot take it. Hot take it. I think the Whopper is one of my favorite fast food burgers. I like uh, a Five Guys burger, but I, you I, even, I can pass a have Whopper. You even sm- I hate the Whopper. Yeah, you are absolutely insane. You are I, both. I can't. I can't stand Burger King. You're both weak. I like the Burger King chicken sandwich. <laughs> I like the chicken sandwich. Yeah, the, the chicken sandwich they put is too fine. much mayo on it. Yeah, that's yeah, the you point. Say light mayo. Yeah. All right. Well, when I worked at Burger King, no one asked for light mayo, and if they did, I'd put extra on. No, I wouldn't do that. I actually would not do that. I was also no one ever asked for light mayo. No, 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 As no. A because of fact, technically, it's an inherent part of the the material of that sandwich. There, it's supposed to cover you in mayonnaise when you eat it. There was a man yeah. who would buy a Big Mac with eight extra Whoppers patties, and I believe it came out to like twenty three dollars, and he ate that almost every other day. Fat man. Is that Andrew Yang? No, not Andrew Yang. Check out Andrew Yang in NYC if you uh, if you would like to do that. Anyway. I don't even know why I said Andrew Yang. Why not? All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening, and thanks for supporting all the shows. Kind of Fun, Top Hat, Whizbrew. You know where to check out all the shows. Every every show on this network is going up, and we thank you for that. Um, also, don't forget, we got our Patreon. Give oh, to our Patreon, and you can watch our stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. PST. Live. PST. You can watch it live. Henry Zabrowski is always reading in the comments and having uh in here ha. so you can your voice can be heard on the stream live only on patreon and then of course we release that later on youtube with uh, some edits because on the last episode marcus showed a man shaving off his own nipples so cutting off his own nipple yeah 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 but he used a razor so you could maybe say shave i don't could know be. I don't know what the proper term is. Uh, it was disgusting, and uh, yeah. so I don't know. Anyway, the audience loved it. The audience <laughs> hated it. Yeah, the audience actively hated it. Yeah. And uh, but that was perfect, you know. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Oh, hail Gene. Magnifications. Hail me. All right. Ooh, I like that Godfather. Hail me. I'll give me a hail. You can't refuse. Is he like the crime doctor? <laughs> the crime doctor. Who's the crime doctor? He's a doctor that works with criminals. He's a crime doctor. Oh, yes. And Another he, Batman character is just called the killer. crime doctor? There's, there's a lot of Batman one. villains. Yeah, there's a lot of Batman. Yeah, there could, it could... I don't know. Is it Crazy Quilt? Is he like Crazy Quilt? Who is it? Like a Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Uh, Jigsaw. Yeah. Uh, is that Marvel? Uh, yeah, that's Marvel. Yeah, Jigsaw is Marvel. That's a, su- I think it's a, that's, a, that's a Punisher villain, I think. Fuck this. I quit. All right. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, zero to two grams net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. 
plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O.